And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back with another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Excited today to be joined by Mr. David West from Prosha. We're going to be talking about his company and... um, pathology, software, AI, all sorts of things, all sorts of things, I'm sure. Um, Before we get started today, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by FullScale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. FullScale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. How's it going, David? Welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate the opportunity. So I, I think it's interesting to talk today about pathology software and um most people probably don't know this but actually one of the first programming jobs i ever had was for a medical lab really this might 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 be an interesting conversation yeah um so love to hear your pathology is so um yeah you you got the rundown on this yeah i didn't either and i was like 21 or 22 when I, i started working in this place uh we built some Basically, it was like an order-taking software yep. to put in the um, like regular clinical laboratory orders and and uh, some pathology orders, yep. and then our software would like um, we actually ended up building a whole laboratory information system is what it turned yep. into because Cerner wanted like a millions of dollars a year to use their software, and our crazy IT manager at the time said, "Screw that, we're going to build one," which was like a yeah. crazy idea. Yeah, and I was the lead developer to build it, uh. so. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, um, yeah, so it was interesting, but so excited to, to learn more about your background and, and how, how you came to start, uh, Prosha. Yeah. So, so I started kind of age wise around when, uh, when you, when you started in doing some stuff in, in the lab space, I was, I went to, I went to Johns Hopkins as an undergrad and, um, kind of wide eyed college student really curious, studied biomedical engineering, wanted to just soak everything up and got honestly a little bit jaded by the, um, you know, the really aggressive sort of GPA focused culture there. A lot of my classmates were saying, Hey, I'm going to go to medical school. I have a 4.0. Everything's got it graded on a scale and it's a really rigorous academic curriculum. And I started kind of looking for other things in the kind of Hopkins ecosystem that I was interested in. There were a lot of smart people there at the medical school that were doing interesting work. Um, and I, I kind of started wandering around and, you know, met a, met a few scientists that were doing some interesting things. They introduced me to other people. Um, I, I met the and became you know fairly close with the founder of the cancer center at Johns Hopkins, a guy by the name of Don Coffey, towards the end of his career. And he and one of his colleagues, Bob Veltri, were working on um, really interesting technology to use computers and computer vision 
to measure properties of cells in images of tissue and predict prostate cancer. And oh, I was interesting. Fascinated. Yeah. It was like, wow, we can use computers to look at cancer and say things that, um, you know, otherwise we would rely on a human pathologist looking at a piece of tissue on a piece of glass underneath a microscope, same technology that's been used for the past 150 years that you'd see in an eighth grade biology classroom and started scratching my head. Why are we not using this technology? All of pathology should be based on software uh, and based on images. And we should be able to use this data to do things like predict cancer outcomes, started building some stuff and um, you know, on the side, Kid called uh, called up one of my buddies from back in one of my co-founders. We've known we're you know known each other for twenty years, so uh, we went back to like kindergarten. Brilliant software developer uh, and another one of my classmates there at Hopkins. Another uh, just really smart guy, and we started building and put something out there for free to help pathologists and scientists uh, manage all of this data and maybe even pull in algorithms to be part of their workflows and put it out there for free, got a couple hundred users on the platform, raised some money, and it became my full-time job in a real company around 2016. That's awesome. You know, I, I love somebody that, you know, take, taking a problem, understands the problem, you know, inventing a solution for it. That's amazing. I love it, man. That's a great story. It's very humble beginnings, um, always with a big vision. You know, the the, the first version of the software that we built wasn't anything fancy. It was kind of just like, you know, Google Drive for pathologists, so, uh, a way to easily manage and share data. But so, we built it. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so for those who are listening, I'm going to guess most people don't even know what the hell pathology is. And yeah. so we, we might want to back up there. I didn't know what pathology was either. All I knew is that when I was building software, we had to order these tests. And yeah. our IT manager, for whatever reason... Always for pathology, used his wife's pap smears as the example, yeah. <laughs> which always felt weird. But pap smears are probably one of the most common things that are done in pathology, right? But yeah. it, there's also a lot of things like, like for example, like um, looking at placentas after a baby's delivered. There's a lot yeah. of different types of pathology, right? So explain like what pathology is. Yeah, yeah. So 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 pathologists spend their time usually looking at tissue to try to understand disease. Um, a lot of people think of like, you know, pathologists in, uh, you know, crime television or something are looking at autopsies and there's mm -hmm. autopsy pathologists. Um, but a lot of what pathologists are doing, most of what pathologists are doing is they're taking a biopsy or something that your dermatologist maybe shaved off your skin or your gastroenterologist took out of your, uh, your colon in a colonoscopy or out of your, um, you know, out of your upper GI and an endoscopy, mm -hmm. something like that, and sending it down to a lab. And basically and they that put it under a microscope. I mean, is that largely what they do? That's what they do. There's somebody, there's kind of two parts of it. One is there's there's people that prepare, um, take that piece of tissue and stain it with a bunch of chemicals, put mm -hmm. it in wax, slice it, kind of using this thing as that's like a really fine deli meat slicer, honestly, is what it's like. Like it has a little cranking wheel and it cuts very thin pieces of tissue, you put that on a glass slide, and then they send it off to the second part, which is when you have a medical doctor, a pathologist, look at this, and they just look for patterns, patterns of cancer. They're trained experts um, in trying to understand patterns in tissue. 
So does your guys' software almost replace the pathologist? I mean, does your guys' software take the photos that come out of the microscopes and then be able to identify what they should have found from those? Like, how does your guys' software fit into that then? So we're definitely not replacing the pathologist. We we start when an image is created of the glass slide. And this is really relatively new technology. Unlike in radiology, radiology has been digital for 20 plus years, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're mostly not getting film x-rays. A lot of times there's, you know, firms that have outsourced reading, like Nighthawk Radiology has a lot of people overseas that will read your radiology cases. It's super easy. You can just beam an image from point A to point B. Yeah. One of my neighbors does that. Yeah, totally. He works at home and he's like an emergency room radiologist. Yep. Yep. Pathology is not like that. Totally tied to the microscope. But over the past five years, pathology has been increasingly image-based. These labs have started to basically buy these huge scanners from companies Mm -hmm. like Philips or Leica, which most people know for camera manufacturing, but they have a big medical business unit. Um, a bunch, of, a bunch of these you know, big medical imaging companies that sell these machines that take a glass slide, usually like 400 or 500 glass slides at once, you put a rack in, and they generate images of these slides. And these are not iPhone photos. They're like 40,000 iPhone photos. Oh, yeah. We're talking about a gigabyte per image. Super so high res. Huge amount of data, right? And that's really the first problem or challenge with this technology. You can't even talk about AI reading these images until you have the image in the first place. And they're huge, cumbersome images to deal with. So that's the first thing that we do. We basically pick up these images from any scanner out on the market and help, whether it's a scientist in a research setting or a pathologist in a diagnostic setting, look at this really big image, do things like reporting, managing their work list, we're integrating with the kind of systems that you would have built, like the lab yeah, information for the system. older results, things like that. Exactly. You know, we'll pull all of that data in um, and kind of power their workflow. But over time, we think algorithm will start to be layered on top of that workflow and help the pathologist do everything from cell counting to you know measuring the expression of a particular um, of a particular protein uh, or whatever that might be or predicting cancer outcomes, right? There's a there's hundreds or thousands of applications that will be built using AI and this new kind of data. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense to me that you could do different kinds of machine learning algorithms, AI and stuff, right? To tag all these uh, images. And then over time, can your guys' software almost say, hey, we think it's this and like the pathologist is almost confirming it. Yeah, we're already seeing that right now. The first versions of this technology were used for for research purposes. So pharma companies do a lot of this work as well. Um, It's not as regulated as the diagnostic space, but we're starting to see some applications, some of which, you know, our partners build, some of which we build. And they're doing things like um, they're doing things like identifying, uh, you know, tumor. And sometimes a pathologist is searching for tumor in a sort of needle in the haystack, um, you know, geography of otherwise benign tissue. And that's a super challenging, time-consuming process. And if you can point the pathologist to, hey, look here, or we think it might be this, um, that's super valuable. We can also be a, you know, a quality control sort of check in the background. 
hey, you might have missed something that looks like a malignant melanoma. Maybe you should read this case again or have another pathologist read it. So does your guys' software do other kind of imagery like CAT scans or MRIs or radiology or any of these other kinds of things? We just focus on pathology. And while we work with other companies that do different kinds of medical imaging, um, a lot of that space is pretty mature, right? Like there's mm -hmm. those companies have been built um, the companies that manage that kind of data and do those kind of workflows. And there's a lot of algorithm companies in that space. Pathology is like really a blue ocean opportunity. It's just exploding right now. Um, and that's kind of been the attractive thing. We think there's a chance to build a you know, multi-billion dollar business in this critical field of medicine that is kind of a, a late bloomer when it comes to you know, adopting software and these data-driven approaches. And it's, and it's different enough that like whatever software would generically handle images from radiology or whatever can't just do the same with pathology. Like there's, you guys do a bunch of sp special stuff really unique to pathology. Yeah. Obviously the machine learning part of it would be totally different, right? M machine learning for x-rays would be totally different than figuring yeah. out that skin cancer or whatever from a melanoma biopsy, yeah. right? I, yeah, I definitely exactly. understand that part with, of it. It starts with the images, right? They're... Just to like, in terms of scale, pathology images can be hundreds, possibly thousands of times larger than radiology images. Interesting. Um, this is a different order of magnitude. They're more like a, a good analogy for, for folks that like have dealt with this kind of technology. Like we all deal with, um, so like Google Maps, you have satellite imagery. And think about that experience of like zooming in and getting yeah. really close onto your house, right? That's kind of how pathology images work. They're just so big um, that you that you have to use different types of technologies to be able to stream it to um, the person who's viewing that image. You have to manage it in different ways. They're generated in different ways. And with all those complexities come unique challenges. But that's where we said, hey, there's an opportunity to build a, a sort of category leading business in, in this field. And so I'm, I'm curious now. So if, if you're doing a a biopsy on a, a liver or whatever to test for liver cancer or whatever it is. How many slides are there? Is there a lot of slides? Yeah, it totally ranges. So, you know, take like a, you, most of, um, most of uh, say dermatopathology or skin pathology volume, uh, you're going to see something like one or two slides per case. Typically um, you go, you know, you get like a breast cancer cases can be in the, in the dozens um, you see, you see other tissue types that might be many dozens to maybe the very low hundreds of, wow. of, of, of slides. Uh, but it really ranges. It really ranges the gamut. That's, that's really fascinating. And it's, yeah, that's gotta be a lot of very large files to deal with. As you said, moving that amount of data around in itself is its own, own challenge. Yeah. Typical labs are producing thousands of images per day so you think every thousand images is like a terabytes of data um, huge challenge right and you know take we work with some pharma companies that have 12 r d sites the pharma companies are especially high volume they have 12 r d sites at one pharma company with you know each each half a dozen scanners at those r d sites and they're just pumping out hundreds of images per day right that's there's a lot there's a lot of pipes of images that we have to pull in. And your guys' system is all, is it all cloud-based? Like you have to move all that to the cloud or does it run on-premise? Yeah. 
Um, so when we started the company, we basically said that cloud was, was a critical technology that would make this possible because it democratized access to, um, you know, to, to store and compute capabilities that you need to handle this volume of, of data. But a lot of our customers are using hybrid strategies or occasionally on-prem strategies, uh, but really our ability to be, to build a sort of cloud first uh, product allowed our customers to deploy this technology in um, really flexible ways, which you need to, to handle this. So for example, a lot of customers will scan directly to like on-prem and then we'll archive to cloud after something like 30 days and I'll sit in cold storage that's lower cost. That's just how you manage the cost of yeah. this stuff. You have sophisticated um, kind of infrastructure strategies to be able to handle that. Well, and do you guys have to keep this data for years or anything from like a liability perspective? A lot of labs do. Um, and not only from a liability perspective, but we actually think that this data is really valuable. And, um, you know, we work with our customers to help put in place the right sort of retention policy. So a lot of them say, well, hey, I want to hold on to interesting cases for five or 10 years. And this might be valuable to help us, you know, discover new therapies or, um, you know, maybe this is a patient whose cancer is likely to recur. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons why you want to hold on to this data. Laws require labs to hold on to the physical slides for, in most states, 10 years, but in, say, New York State, 20 years. Wow. Right? So they're holding on to the physical slides for liability purposes or for really just good good practice. And that would be a boom to your guys' business if, if you could get those laws changed of like, hey, the digital copy is good enough. Yep, exactly. That would be a so boom we, for you guys. Yeah. This technology is really early, but we think that they, we're seeing the kind of regulatory and legal infrastructure around um, – or landscape around this technology take uh, you know be, be become um, be built be built around an image based paradigm. The one thing with healthcare and you know especially when it comes to healthcare policy is that that tends to lag the technology. But we're starting to see that, and I think that would be a, a, a huge impact to businesses like ours. Yeah. Well. I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what uh, developers are available to join your team right away. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Yeah, I would imagine you guys must have a giant AWS bill or something for, for hosting all this stuff. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not cheap. Um, we've had to get really smart about how we manage that over time, not to mention the fact that you know, we're being trusted with healthcare data um, and that comes with unique privacy um, and compliance considerations that we've had to get really good at. And one of the things about, you know, building a business from the ground up in, in healthcare is that trust is, is critical. Um, and so you, you can't really cut corners around these, around those things, but when you can, when you can do it right, um, you can be, you can be use that as a competitive advantage. Good news is, is there's, you know, things like AWS have really good support for stuff like this, where I'm going to guess you guys will use those images maybe for a week or two or whatever. And then like literally nobody will ever read them ever again because they just like get archived off and things exactly. like AWS are, are great, great for that. They have some really low cost storage for basically putting it in cold storage and they have AWS glaciers, the name of it. Exactly. 
And uh, it's perfect for you guys. Like, it'd be hard to imagine building what you're building like 20 years ago. You're like, oh, you need to get a a SAN and the amount of storage space it would take to do all that and the cost of like constantly buying that storage and all that kind of stuff is a nightmare. So exactly right. Like the idea that you can kind of move between different storage tiers with a click of a button oh, yeah. is an enabling technology. You're right. You could not have imagined doing this even just, you know, 15 years ago. And that was kind of part of our core thesis. We said that this data is so big that Frankly, the technology has existed for a while to scan these images, but it took the, you know, this the, the infrastructure, storage cost and stuff. the storage infrastructure to be able to 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 enable this, and and that's kind of proven true, right? Like that's that's what's allowed this space to take off in many ways. Well, and you guys have been doing this for a few years, but I would guess even now the cost of doing it now is probably a third of what it was, you know, then, right when you started, right? The cost just keeps going down and down for for some of that yep. storage. So Moore's laws on our side here. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, um, this is, was this the first company you ever, you ever started? It's, it's the first, uh, the first company that's, that's grown like this, but I guess I'm kind of an entrepreneur at heart. I've always, I've always been, you know, tinkering around the first, the first real business, uh, that I built when I was a kid was like tape to disc.net never got off the ground, but we would convert VHS tapes to DVDs and people would send their, their VHS tapes. Um, and, uh, but, but, but I didn't scale much beyond, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the local neighborhood. Yeah. I love it. Got the entrepreneurial spirit, but so you started this right after college. Is that what you said? I did. Yeah. started playing around with the technology while I was in college and then, really became my full-time job pretty much day of graduation. We signed the term sheet for our, for our seed round. Um, like literally while I was, while I was graduating, I, I didn't admit it to, to many people during the first few years, but now, uh, now, now have, uh, have a few more, have a few more gray hairs. Um, been at it for, <laughs> for a little while since then. So, um, so did you start yeah. it with anybody else or you were the only, you have some of the co-founders? I had I had a couple other co-founders who have been you know really instrumental in in helping build this technology and and bring it to to these customers. Uh, one was a was a, a college buddy, um, and then Nathan, and then my other co-founder Coleman. I've known for you know twenty plus years. Um, Coleman really is the is the brilliant technologist behind the uh, behind this. Um, he's a he's a, a phenomenal software engineer and. Um, and and has been uh, you know, deeply involved in building this in, in a really smart way. And I think you mentioned earlier your background was more uh, from the pathology side, right? Yeah, so I studied biomedical engineering um, with a focus on computational biology. So I've always been interested in the intersection of um, of software and and medicine. Well, I think it just goes, in, but but you don't have any background in software engineering, right? So you some of the early days of this, you didn't help create the write the code or do any of that part of it your your friend did yeah i was so a modest i was doing a modest amount of development but but not a whole lot um it 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 ended pretty pretty quickly most of what i've been was doing was just kind of rolling up my sleeves and doing some front-end work i'm super interested and passionate about design and and very much a believer that you know really well-designed software especially is critical in in medicine where you're trying to enable some change management so I played a role in in that sense. 
Uh, but I'm not, I'm also not a pathologist by background, right? Like I don't have the medical, uh, sort of the medical doctor background. So where did, so where did you guys, who did you lean on from like the kind of practical real world, like pathology part of it, just yeah. your customers or was there somebody else on the team that kind of brought the pathology background or? We talked to a ton of customers, I, you know, being customer centric has been really deeply ingrained in our company's DNA from day one. We've, we basically just planted ourselves at, you know, places like where I was at Johns Hopkins, working with the scientists um, and pathologists there who became some of our first paying customers, uh, other, other academic places. And then we built some momentum from there and had a few pharma companies start reaching out and say, Hey, I'm interested in this, in this software. And then AbbVie became a customer and then we grew from from there and had some bigger diagnostic labs become our our customers. And along the way, we just stay really close to them and listen to their problems, listen to their challenges, started with the problem and worked backwards and iterated really quickly. I think that's been been critical to to uh, our early successes, especially as a lot of people start companies, especially in in healthcare with like you know, a lot of money, maybe they're, you know, spin outs of, of big organizations or, or something like that. Um, and they, and, and they lose that kind of formative component of a, uh, of, of, of building great products. Well, I, I love highlighting this part of the story because, you know, a, for a lot of early stage companies, you know, having co-founders that bring different parts of it, you know, different talents, you know, to the company is really important. And I, I love the fact that neither, neither of you were necessarily pathology experts, right? But you still figured out, you still saw the, you saw the problem, you were able to identify the problem, you're, and you guys had the guts to go tackle it, and you made it work. And now you've got this great company, right? Like, just goes to show that, you know, I don't want to say anybody can do this, but anybody that, you know, sees the problem is, and, and has the talent and puts in the effort, can go do it if you get the right team and, and, and make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Like it. And it becomes so much about, you know, who we put around us because over time we've been able to put in great pathology experts, uh, brilliant software engineers, uh, you know, great, great commercial leaders that know this market super deeply and, and in a sense have become experts ourselves, but it's all just been about, you know, putting great people around us and staying super close to the customer. So my, my first company was software related to uh, car dealerships. And yeah. so I did that for like about 10 years. And people always ask me like, well, did you ever sell cars? Did you ever work in the industry? And I'm like, no, I never did. But I feel like I knew way more about the industry than they did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just because I was around it, you know, every single day and saw every aspect of it. And, and honestly, most people who worked in car dealerships only worked there for a few months or a year or two and were gone. Like they had the turnover yeah. in that industry was so bad. Yeah. Um, so I, I just worked around it for so long that I just, I sort of knew the insides and outs of it. And I wouldn't say I became an expert at the industry, but from the technology side, definitely did. Yeah, totally. And it sounds like you're, you're in the same place. You're like, I've never actually been a pathologist, but I've been, I, I talk to them every single day and I feel like I know more about, about it than they do on some days. Right. Yeah. Like, and I think that's like one of the things that that's been, you know, pathology has been so ignored by Silicon Valley because it has a certain, um, you know, black box aspect to it. You, you're a patient, you get a biopsy and you get a pathology report back. Um, and no one really knows what happens in the basement of, 
of that hospital. But pathology is so critical to everything that we do. Something like, you know, 70% of the data in the electronic medical record comes out of the pathology lab. And so there's really a big opportunity to take this field of medicine and equip equip them with the kind of technology that they need to be effective in, in the 21st century, um, where our lives are governed by data and software, where you and I can just jump on this Zoom and, and have a conversation. But it takes bridging the gap between the mentalities of Silicon Valley and the mentalities of, uh, of the pathology lab. And they're very different universes. Uh, connecting those two universes is, is challenging. Um, but, but I think that's where there's a lot of, for me, a lot of the excitement has been. So do you guys have a lot of, of competitors in this space? You know, it's a very, it's a, it's a growing field. Um, it's a field that a lot of money has poured into over the past three or so years because it's growing, you know, very, very quickly. Um, but we've been able to build a really solid category leadership position in our space by focusing on, you know, being that platform where the pathologists do their work, where their data lives and being open to partnering with companies that say are building algorithms that will live on our platform and not trying to do everything ourselves. So I'm, I'm sure you probably know this because you work in the industry, but I'm from Kansas City and Kansas City is home to Cerner. Sure. Which yeah. Oracle bought or is in the process of trying to buy or whatever, wherever they are with that. But uh, I, I would imagine you have people like Cerner, like what Siemens, uh, Epic, yep. And all them knocking on your knocking on your door to to acquire you guys or partner with you guys. I would imagine that's a a never ending process there. So we work a lot with the C, with the Cerners and the Epics of the world because we integrate with their. They have lab information systems. Yeah. They're managing basically the non image data things like patient history, mm-hmm. kind of text based information, and the pathologist wants to see that alongside the images. So that integration is really critical, and then we'll push data back to those systems. We work really closely with Siemens. They're a, a partner of ours, and they've helped us create distribution leverage in a market where that's really hard. You know, building distribution from scratch in healthcare where we don't have access to these, you know, a lot of the big hospitals. We don't have, you know, the 150-year trusted brand that companies like Siemens do. So Siemens has been able to help us get into market. We signed a partnership with them uh, a few quarters ago, um, and and uh, that's been you know, starting to see some early successes from that. Yeah. Is the sales like go to market strategy for a product like this kind of hard, like long sales process, hard to, hard to sell into hospitals? It's definitely a hard sales process, but over time we've really been able to optimize it and it's a continuous, you know, optimization of that go to market motion. Um, you know, go to market strategies in in healthcare, uh, can be complex and, um, you know, we're, we're serving, we're serving a market that is a lot of times seeing this technology for the first time. And, uh, and so, and so that takes a lot of handholding with those customers, but we've been able to figure out how to, um, how to really optimize that and, um, and build a machine around it. So when you first started out, was it just, kind of cold calling in the hospitals and, and trying to get your foot in the door? Or was it like an early partnership to kind of help get you guys going? Or how did you guys do that in the early days? It was all about those early customers. Like we've sat really closely with a couple of mostly academic centers, um, places like Johns Hopkins that had a really big brand that other hospitals 
uh, would look to when um, when thinking about how they would adopt this technology and working really closely with them. We kind of built a moat around those early customers and word of mouth drove a lot of our early growth. Mm-hmm. Then after we raised, you know, we've raised most recently a Series C when we raised, especially like Series B, Series C, it's it's been really about putting um, creating scale to our to our to our go to market process, and that's been a bit of a bit of a shift from that kind of word of mouth driven growth to more intentional growth. Yeah, because then go, you go from with any kind of business referral is always your best source of leads, yeah. right? But you know, moving to doing like kind of more cold calling, yep. uh, enterprise type sale, like complicated sale. Like that's, that's gotta be very difficult compared exactly. to the like, Hey, my, my, uh, my, my friend that works at John Hopkins said I needed to call you is like a, a slam dunk in comparison. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not, not just, not just those early customers being, being, uh, critical to us, but it was, it was myself and my co-founders, uh, that were, that were, kind of working those relationships mm-hmm. and more or less networking our way around. And then we say, okay, well, we need to build a team around this. And how do we get a team that can help us get to the next level? And, um, you know, we've, we've been able to bring on some people that are super, super talented at this and, and have helped us create scale, doing things like, like cold calling, building a process to that, but it's a super iterative, uh, you know, process. You're, we're figuring out what works. We're finding out how do we access our customers? Um, what kind of story do we tell them? Basically, you know, who do we sell to? Uh, where do we find them? And, and what do we tell them? And that seems like a really easy, uh, a really easy equation on the surface, but this is a multi-stakeholder enterprise sale in a kind of murky protective market that cares a lot about trust and isn't super, they're skeptical. They're not super receptive to, you know, a salesperson calling them on the yeah. phone. And, and so we've had to, uh, we've had to really figure that out. So, if, so to help scale that up, did you guys go and recruit people that worked at places like Cerner and Epic to, yep. to join your guys' team that, that kind of knew, had some background in it? Yeah. Especially on the commercial side, we have some amazing leaders in the company who have done it before. Yeah. Um, people who have been there at, you know, have been at say, you know, the, 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 the companies that build these scanners um, mm. that know the customers and know the market uh, and know the technology, but also people that know enterprise software and healthcare and life sciences. Um, and those are the, it's sort of the vertical expertise, knowing the customer. And then there's the horizontal expertise, you know, knowing the technology um, and finding the people that can kind of, that know that inner, that are at that intersection that know both the technology and the people who we're selling to was critical. And we've had to go to, you know, some of the, some of the big guys, if you will, out in this space to, uh, you know, recruit them over to the rebel Alliance, if you will. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's one of the hard things as a, as a founder, um, and, and, and CEOs is trying to figure out when you need to bring those people in. Like I got to pay the big bucks and go recruit somebody to come do this. I'm gonna have to give them stock. I'm gonna have to do all these things, yeah. pay them a fortune versus yeah. like, you know what, we'll just figure it out. We'll hire the intern and have the intern do it. Right. Yeah. Versus like, hey, where's uh, Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady to come like yeah. do this, you know? Yeah, and exactly. um, I, I feel like a lot of CEOs struggle with that where they're like, they don't want to pay the big bucks to bring people in. But I, I'm going to guess at some point you guys had to do that at some point. Right. Yep. Yeah. Totally, totally critical. You know, it's all about 
putting the right people around us that can help us get get to market and um, you know accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. We've always, you know, we've always thought big. Uh, but one of the things I'll actually say is that in that experience of bringing people in from those often bigger, more established companies, is that you know we it's it can be a culture shock for them yeah. to come into a startup and operate in a much more nimble environment. They come in and say, wait, we don't have a process for X. It's like, yeah, that's why we hired you, right? Like we, the one who's going to come on and build this with us. And, but also let's make sure that we don't get bogged down in process. Well, and that's part of the struggle too. It's like, oh, we hired our new chief marketing officer and they start and they're like, where's my team? I'm like, you don't have a team. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You are the team and there's no budget for a team. You have to do it all. Yeah, that that's hard, right? Like, especially you 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 recruit those people in, and are like, uh, we're starting from scratch here, and we don't have a budget for anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's it's hard. Well, um, I do want to um, remind everybody again that today's episode was brought up uh, brought to you by FullScale.io. Um, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you with our fully vetted, highly experienced software developers. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. So as we wrap up the show, I'm, I'm curious, David, um, what do you see as the, the future for your company? Where, where are you guys going? What's next? Yeah. You know the, the the days are still early in in our market, but it continues to grow. And I think we've we've created a position in this market where our customers are trusting our software to manage their data um, and to do their work. And that's a really great position to be in. And so now the question is: A, first and foremost, how do we get that to scale up? You know, we've got 10 of the top 20 pharma companies on our platform. We've got some you know, world-class diagnostic labs uh, and academic medical centers that are trusting us to power their pathology work. And we want the world's pathology data to live on our platform. Uh, we want the world's pathology work to happen on our platform. And, um, and that's kind of the immediate next step. But, you know, beyond that, this is a more than anything, a data opportunity. There's a billion slides, glass slides created for diagnostic purposes every year. Each of those is a billion pixels that otherwise would be sitting on a shelf, uh, collecting dust. And cold storage. For us, right? And, and so like, how do we, the next, the next chapter of our company is, is all about how do we leverage that data to, to do things that we couldn't with glass alone I think that's where there's tremendous potential for this field, and it's where it's going to totally reshape, uh, you know, the contours of of pathology and and hopefully medicine. So there's a lot to build. You know, we think the next 15, 20 years of innovation in pathology are going to be a very exciting one. We're we're still in the early days, and we want to be at the center of it. So as you guys go through this growth curve, what percentage of of pathology, do you think is, di- is digitized at this point? I mean, are, we, are you still yeah. early in the in the growth of this? You know, for research purposes, most of pathology is largely digital. You go to any pharma company, and they're using image based pathology. They're using AI. But you go to diagnostics, which is a more regulated space, is a little mm-hmm. bit slower moving. You've got a patient on the other side of this who's 
dealing with a life and death situation. And, you know, the world has gone from in 2017, when the first scanner was approved by the FDA for diagnostic purposes, less than 1% of those billion slides were scanned per year. Over the past, whatever it's been, four years, that's grown to, it's grown like 15x, but it's still 15%, yeah. right? There's yep. there's there's uh, another 85% of global diagnostic volume set to go digital, and most analysts expect that to happen over the next five to seven years. So early days, but moving very quickly. Awesome. You guys also do a lot of international business too? Yeah, we do. So we built out a team in Europe over the last 12 months. And frankly, Europe has leaned into the adoption of this technology ahead of the U.S., um, for whatever reason, their regulatory and um, and uh, sort of health economic landscape has been more permissible for the adoption of this technology. Um, and the U.S. Uh, leaders have kind of followed that. So we leaned into Europe uh, pretty early on, which has been strategically uh, beneficial to us. We've gotten some amazing customers over there, but um, it also comes with a lot of complexities, you know, going international puts an overhead, uh, puts, puts a yeah. tax on the business um, in a figurative sense. And uh, managing that and staying lean is has been one of the biggest, um, you know, areas of, of uh, kind of deliberate growth for us. That's, you know, deciding to make a leap like that is always hard because like in our business before, I always felt like, hey, we have so much opportunity here. We can't conquer. Like, why would we take this yeah. on? You know, like we, we can't even conquer all, all the opportunity here but at some point in time you, you got to do it because there's it's a big ocean and and you didn't yep. even mention asia which i think is like half the people on the planet <laughs> exactly yeah totally so, and you know we, we've gotten our uh, we have our hands full with our expansion to to europe but um yeah. you're right you know asia asia's been a fast-growing market in in pathology um and and it's a market that is that is kind of you know ripe for for this technology. So um, that's kind of a natural next step geographically. Yeah. Big opportunity for you guys. And, and sounds like you guys have, have built a, a great business and lots of growth opportunity there. Yeah. The growing market. So any, uh, any last uh, tips for uh, other, other entrepreneurs and, and founders that are listening in today? Yeah. You know, I'll just say like, I, I think um, more than, more than anything, starting with a customer and working backwards is, is key it's so easy to forget that too. It's especially easy to forget that as, as you scale up. And, and it's one of the things that, uh, that, that I and my co-founders have, have uh, really valued as being critical in our growth journey. And, you know, try to, try to get the rest of our team to, um, to be able to kind of keep that fire of customer centricity alive as, as we grow. Yeah. The bigger our company gets and becomes very corporate, like the whole culture of it changes over time. Yeah. It's, it's all challenges. about the customer. Yeah. All right. Well, once again, this was David West from Prosha. And uh, David, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Um, for those who are curious, it's Prosha is P-R-O-S-C-I-A dot com. Check them out. And uh, thank, you. thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. This is awesome. Take care. 
Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.